Turn in your Bibles to, surprise, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we're going to begin reading at uh, verse number 1, and we're going to read through part of this. Uh, Read through verse 11, then we're going to read verse 16. John chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except that abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Everybody say, wow. Now, this is the key to answered prayer right here. And verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy might be full. In verse 16, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth, go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Everybody say, wow. The key to answered prayer. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. So the key is that when we remain in the vine, when we abide or remain or continue in the vine, then uh, fruit is going to be born and we're going to have prayers answered. So tonight we're going to talk about uh, For a few moments, we're going to do a study about the power of abiding, the power of abiding. And we're going to spend some time just looking into the Word of God. And I pray that that even though most of you are not taking caffeine this week, that you can stay awake and listen because God wants to make you a disciple. He wants to turn you into a disciple and and enable you to grow spiritually. So let's pray uh, that we would receive from the Word tonight. Lord Jesus... We thank you tonight for your word and for your promises and for the power that's in your word. And we pray, Jesus, that uh, over the next few moments as we study the Bible together, Lord God, that number one, you'd help us be wide awake, that you would enable us, Lord Jesus, to understand what's being said, to apply it to our hearts and let it bring about transformation and change in us, Lord. We pray this uh, in the powerful and precious name of Jesus, and we promise to give you glory in the name of the Lord. And everybody said amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. Now, I want to um, 
as we get into this passage, uh, hopefully you noticed right off that the key to answered prayer is abiding or remaining or continuing in Jesus Christ, to abide in Him. Not abide in the church, but abide in Him. If we abide in Christ, then we will have our prayers answered. Now, we talked on this Sunday uh, about the why of prayer. Why we pray, number one, it's because of the change that happens in us, and number two, we pray because we, through prayer, we invite God's action on our behalf. So tonight we're talking uh, about how our prayers can be answered through abiding in Jesus Christ. But before we get into this, I want to give you context to this passage of Scripture. We're looking at John chapter number 15, the gospel according to John. And uh, you all know that there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Gospels are the story of the life of Jesus. And uh, each of them tell uh, the stories from a different perspective. Some of them uh, uh, have stories that they tell in common. Some of them have stories that they tell that some of the other Gospels do not tell. But in in, uh, particular, the book of John, the writing of John, uh, who wrote this Gospel, was also the one most scholars believe that wrote the three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also wrote the book of Revelation. So John wrote all of these, and this is the author of this gospel. But the theme or the focus of the gospel of John is on the deity of Jesus Christ, whereas uh, Matthew focuses more on um, the, uh, how that Jesus' life fulfills Old Testament prophecies and it kind of targets the Jewish people. Mark talks about the miracles. But uh, John focuses on the, the identity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at, when you study a book of the Bible um, and you really dig into it and really pay attention to it, you realize that um, there are certain sections uh, or segments of the book that focus on certain things and then other segments focus on other things. And first of all, John chapters 1 through 12, if you read it yourself, you'll notice right off that it focuses on Jesus' public ministry where Jesus is preaching to multitudes and working miracles and doing great things. And John chapters 1 through 12 tell the stories of the miracles of uh, of his testimony, of his preaching, his teaching, his lessons, the miracles of Jesus in his public ministry. But then in verse 13, you see a shift and a change. And it's not focused anymore on Jesus' public ministry, but it's focused on Jesus' private teachings to his disciples. So it shifts from his kind of uh, evangelistic proclamation of the kingdom of heaven to, okay, we're going to take time and focus on these men who are going to carry the message forward. It's the private ministry of Jesus, and it is, when you read chapters 13 through 21, it's discipleship in action. It's how Jesus made disciples. So this is important to us because we're supposed to make disciples. So what Jesus was doing is he uh, paused from his ministry, or, or at least in this rendering in, in John, is a pause from what we, is very public. And what, did, what was Jesus talking to his disciples about behind 
closed doors to prepare them for the ministry that they were going to be a part of. He was preparing them for their future service once they were filled with the Holy Spirit to go and fulfill the Great Commission. So these few days that are chronicled in these chapters 13 through 21, these few days that the disciples spent with Jesus where he revealed truth to them were transformational times for these men, these men that God was going to use. And so what, what you um, learn is it, even in the church today, there is times when we have times of, of public proclamation and powerful church services where the Spirit of God moves and, and God manifests his glory. But then equally as important, maybe even more important, are those times where discipleship happens, where we are instructed about uh, what's coming and what to anticipate and uh, kind of the behind the scenes if you're going to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when, when new people come into the church, this is our responsibility as the church to disciple them to take some time with them because in, in John 16 he says um, you, you shall have trouble in the world. You're a follower of Jesus. The world's going to hate you. Uh, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be challenges that you're going to face but we want to prepare you for the challenges and uh, uh, enable you to be the best disciple of Jesus that you can be. So this is what Jesus is doing in chapters 13 through 21. And um, Jesus had revealed to them at this point that he was going to be leaving and that he was going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he was getting them ready for their ministry once he was taken from them and they were left with the responsibility and the empower with the responsibility, the commission and the empowerment of uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, they were getting ready for for the big exam. The big test. And I heard a story, read a story one time about a, uh, a young man that was in university. And uh, he was in this class where they were studying birds. And uh, the class, I guess it was a biology class, uh, but the, the title of the class was Ornithology. And uh, so the professor was one of those types of guys who prided himself in his class being really tough. And like uh, it was going to be, this is going to be the class that it's really hard to pass. So um, this young man was determined to pass the class. So he spent a long time preparing for the exam and uh, was cramming, studying, diligent and all of that. And so the time came for the exam and he walked into the classroom and on each of the desks, all there was on 25 of the desks was a picture. And the picture was a picture of the feet of birds. And the exam was, we want you to go through and name what species of bird it is based on the picture of their, just the feet and legs of the bird. And the young man was infuriated. He had spent all this time preparing, and now here's a test that he has no idea how, how to do this. So he went up to the professor afterward, and said, uh, don't you understand that I've spent all this time, we've spent all this time preparing, and you've got this test, and I have no idea how we're going to name these birds based on looking at their feet and legs, and uh, I, 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 I'm not even going to take this test. And the professor said, well, it's for your grade, and so if you don't take it, you're going to get an F. And the student was so frustrated, he said, okay, give me an F then. And the professor said, okay, 
son, what's your name? So he took off his socks and shoes and rolled up his pant legs and said, I don't know, you figure it out. (laughs) Amen. That was a long story, wasn't it? I don't know if it was worth it. Uh, uh, But the point is, I don't know what the point is. The point is we are preparing for tests that are going to come. And uh, sometimes the tests are going to be challenging. And you won't really know if you're ready or not uh, until it hits you. And as we read John chapters 13, 14, 15, and so on, we can pick up pretty quick that Jesus recognizes that his disciples weren't quite ready for what Jesus knew was coming. He knew what they were going to face. And he sensed that they weren't ready yet. And so he was taking time to give them instruction to prepare them. And he was concentrating on preparing these disciples for their final exam. And uh, so the main theme is being prepared for the inevitable difficulties of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. How can we prepare for this? How can we be ready? How can we go through the troublesome times that come as a follower of Jesus Christ? And uh, if I were to sum up what Jesus is teaching here and how to prepare for what's coming, it's very simple. You've got to remain in Christ. You've got to abide in Christ. This is your only hope, is to abide in Christ. Jesus Christ. This is the secret for being prepared. And at the heart of this message is John chapter 15, which we're studying this week, is in order to be prepared for what is to come, for the challenges of doing what God's called you to be, the only way it's going to work is you've got to abide in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful. The word remain, abide, dwell. These words are used over and over throughout the writings of John. And in chapter 15 alone, you see this word 11 different times, abide or remain or continue. And throughout the Gospel of John, you see this idea, this word mentioned 40 times. I think John's trying to get a point across, is we've got to stay consistent and remain in Jesus Christ. And then in his first, second, and third John in Revelation, we see this word another 27 times. So the message of John the Apostle is, if you're going to thrive, you've got to remain in Jesus Christ. You've got to abide in the vine. If you don't stay connected to Jesus, you have no hope of making it as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the word abide, it simply means to stay with something, to be steadfast, to hold on to something no matter what. John said some tough times are coming. The only way you're going to survive, the only way you're going to be an overcomer, is you've got to have a tenacity that holds on and abides and stays in Jesus Christ no matter what happens. This is the secret to being prepared and overcoming is to totally depend on Jesus and be steadfast in your commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a recognition that I cannot make it without Jesus. Amen. And uh, I've seen people before and um, in, in ministry and growing up in church and then in be, being involved in ministry. I've seen lots of people with good intentions and 
and lots of people that are good people at heart. But I've seen a lot of these same people that have trouble remaining. They have trouble abiding. They, they, have, they have trouble continuing. And so they're easy prey to the enemy and kind of slap them around a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? He, he, he just uh, understands. All I have to do is get these people discouraged and they'll disconnect. All I have to do is uh, uh, get these feelings, people's feelings hurt and they'll disconnect. And, and then there's no hope for them if they don't abide. But somewhere along the way, Jesus was telling his disciples, you got to learn. It's fun right now. You're pumped right now. But you're not always going to be pumped, and it's not always going to be fun. And so you've got to learn that the only way you're going to survive is to stick it out, is to abide, is to continue in Jesus Christ. Amen. So in John chapter 15, as we turn to the text now, verses 1 through 11, what we read before we started, he is speaking of a vineyard. He says, of course, that, uh, that his father is the, the vine keeper or the husbandman. And Jesus is the vine. He said, I'm the vine. And you, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are the branches. And, of course, when he talks about the, the vineyard, he is using it as a parable or an allegory to describe our relationship with God and also to describe the church, that we are a vine, that Jesus Christ is the vine. We're part or branches of the vine, and God is the one who is taking care of the vine. He's the husbandman, the one that, that uh, is the gardener, if you would, that cares for the vine. Now, when, when it starts talking about the vine, let me clarify something right now. In the Bible, there are three different vines that are mentioned uh, allegorically. The first one is Israel itself is referred to as a vineyard or a vine. This is the past vine, the vineyard. And uh, many scriptures in the Old Testament refer to Israel as a vine. Jeremiah 2.21 is one of them, in, where, where uh, Jeremiah speaking for God here, says, Yet I had planted thee a noble vineyard, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? So the Old Testament uh, church was the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. They had been transplanted, uh, uh, Abraham from Ur, and then the children of Israel from Egypt into Canaan's land. And God took good care, the husbandman took good care of the vine and gave many benefits and blessings. However, this vine produced wild grapes and eventually, eventually, this vine, this vineyard, killed the husbandman's own son. In Matthew 21, 37, last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son, but when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. What's this referring to? This is referring to Israel's response to Jesus coming. First of all, they killed the prophets. That was the servants that were sent to collect. Then they killed the son, which is Jesus Christ. The vineyard, the, uh, the uh, original vineyard or the old vineyard refers to Israel. And then there is the vine of the earth. That's the second one. It's referred to in Revelation 14 
and 18. This is the future vine. And in Revelation 14, 18, it says, And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. For her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The vine of the earth is this world and its system. Remember in Romans where the Bible says, I believe it's in uh, chapter 11, that you were cut out of a wild branch and graft in To the vine, what is the wild? The wild is the vine of the world. And the Bible promises that the vine of the world is going to be judged. And the clusters that are fattening on the vine of of the world are going to, to be judged in the end. This is the unsaved people. And they are tapped into the vine of the world. And as a result, they depend on this world for their sustenance and their satisfaction. If you're plugged into the vine of the world, you need what comes from the vine, the vine of the world to be sustained. You are sustained and satisfied on the things of this world. But isn't it amazing that we were cut out of the vine that was sustained on worldly things, and then we were grafted into the true vine, which is Jesus Christ. And while we used to be nourished by the things of this world, now we're satisfied and strengthened through Jesus Christ himself and through the power of his spirit. So the second vine is the vine of the world. And while the unsaved depend on the world for sustenance, believers depend on Jesus. And then the third vine is the vine that he's speaking of here, the present vine, which is Jesus Christ, the true vine. He said, he is the vine and we are the branches. Similar to the imagery where he speaks of Christ is the head and we are members of the body of Christ. So first of all, he talks about the vineyard and, and uh, the vine. And then secondly, he talks about the branches. He says, Jesus says, I'm the vine, the father is the husbandman, and you guys, you disciples, you followers, are the branches. Now the thing about a branch is, a branch has no value on its own other than to build a fire. Can't do anything on its own. That's why Jesus said, without me, you can do Not very little, not insignificant. You can do nothing. We're just a branch. We don't have anything within us that's good to produce. We have to depend on Jesus Christ, the true vine. And so in order for a branch to have any value, it must be in union with the vine. Kind of like the the Bible says we are members of the body. And, And if you disconnect a member... From the body, it can't even live. It can't move. It has no uh, usefulness until it's connected with the body. And just like the sheep without the shepherd, if the shepherd weren't there, Jesus Christ being the shepherd, we've got to understand that we're just a member. We've got to understand that we're just a branch. We've got to understand that we're just a lamb. And, And as such, we require abiding. Without abiding, we can't survive. Without abiding, we have no significance. 
without abiding in him. And this is the problem. People get disconnected from God. They get disconnected from Jesus Christ. They get disconnected from the body of Christ. And then there's no possibility for them to survive. And the sooner we discover that we are branches, the better. As soon as we discover our dependency on Jesus, the better. Because the key word is abide. You've got to abide. You've got to be connected. You've got to continue. You've got to stay put in order for God's will to be done. And uh, so we've got to keep in fellowship with him so that his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. Because you can't produce fruit on your own. You're just a branch. We've got to be connected. I mean, I know it sounds real simple, but it's profound when you think about it. When I get disconnected from the flow of Jesus, when my relationship grows distant, when I'm not worshiping like I I, I used to, when I'm not praising him, when I'm not faithful to the house of God, when I'm not giving, what am I doing? I'm disconnecting. And, and no wonder there's no fruit in my life. How could a branch produce fruit? It can't. It can only produce fruit as it's in union with the vine. So how do you know? How can you know whether or not you are abiding in the vine? It's not a matter of did you show up for church. Because you can show up for church and not be abiding in Jesus. I mean, we've we got to be connected to the vine. Amen. That, and I know uh, attendance in church is an important part of remaining connected. And uh, my goodness, somebody that doesn't attend church regularly, obviously they're not connected to the vine. Because if they were connected to the vine, they would want to be with the other disciples. They would want to be worshiping God. They'd want to be there. So that's a real clear sign. But on the flip side, just being here is not a sign that you are in the vine for sure. But there are some signs here that we see in Scripture that you're abiding. Number one is if you're abiding in the vine, you'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit, and we'll talk about that. Number two, uh, as, as we read, it says if you're abiding in the vine, you're going to experience the Father's pruning. It's a good sign you're in the vine. If the Father hasn't messed with you lately, I wonder if you're abiding in the vine. Because if you're abiding, you're going to experience the pruning. Thirdly, we learned that uh, if you abide in me, and, and, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you, you uh, will and you shall receive it. Number three, your prayers are being answered. If you're abiding in the vine and you're praying in the will of God, that's what the Bible teaches, praying in the will of God, then your prayers will be answered. If, you, if you're not getting your prayers answered, you might check your connection. Are you in union still with the vine? Because the Bible says, if you abide in me and my words are in you, You can ask, and it'll happen. Number four, you will experience, and John 15 teaches that if you abide, you will experience a deepening love for Jesus Christ and the other disciples. You're going to want to be connected with the other followers. When you start losing an appetite for fellowship, it's a good sign that you're disconnected from the vine. When you want to spend time with everybody else except the people of God, Something's not right there. You've disconnected. And you may not realize it yet, but this is a sign that you are abiding. And number five, it, it teaches, in uh, chapter 15 teaches you will experience joy. You will experience joy. That doesn't mean you'll be happy all the time. 
doesn't mean you won't ever experience sadness, but it means that through the sadness you will have the joy of the Lord. Why? Because you're connected. You're in union. This is how you can know that you're abiding. Now, here's one thing that's different about you abiding in the vine and a typical branch abiding in a vineyard. The big difference is a, a, a branch abiding in the vine happens automatically. It's just like there. But, but Jesus' teaching here, for you to abide in the vine, it has to be intentional. You have to be focused on staying connected to the vine. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to teach on it, right? If we automatically stayed in the vine, just like a branch automatically stays in the vine, then Jesus wouldn't have had to bring it up. But he brings it up because it is not automatic. It has to be cultivated. It has to be um, uh, built up and strengthened. This abiding is something that we have to be intentional about. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Amen. I'm, I'm sorry. My, my uh, iPad keeps freezing up on me. I'm going to have to go back. Y'all thought I was going to go old school and pull out a book or something, huh? This is as old school as I get right here. Amen. Appreciate your patience here. I think one of these days I'm going to have to replace that thing. All right, here it comes. Here it comes. Okie doke. <clears throat> Abiding must be cultivated, as I, as I said. Abiding doesn't just happen automatically. It requires worship. It requires focusing on the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. It requires prayer, sacrifice, and service to God. You've got to be plugged in requires these things but the deal is is once you've experienced what it's like to be abiding in the vine you would not trade it for anything no matter the fact that it does take intentionality and focus now those of you that have been in church for a while you've been serving God for a while you've probably experienced times when you were disconnected some of you may have experienced times where you were half backslidden and uh, your your faithfulness in reading the Bible and prayer and coming to worship uh, and serving just kind of waned, right? And uh, last place you wanted to go was to Bible study on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night uh, because you were disconnected from the vine. And, uh, and, and you realized somewhere along the way the light came on, and it's like if, if I'm going to stay plugged in, I've got to do certain things. You guys with me? It, it, it has to be cultivated. It, it has to be intentional. Uh, worship and, and service and giving and uh, a commitment to the kingdom of God keeps me connected into the vine. Now, the, the, uh, so we've talked about the vine and the branches. Now I want to mention the vine dresser uh, that is mentioned at the very beginning, which is the Father, which is God. He is the husbandman. He is the one in charge of taking care of the vine. And right off it says... That, uh, that the husbandman purges or prunes the, vi- the, the vine so that it can produce more fruit, so that it can produce much fruit. And uh, one thing that I've learned is that pruning is very, very important in a vineyard. In fact, they'll take 
these guys that are going to be vine dressers, and they'll train them for three years to make sure to know when to cut, where to cut, what angle to cut, because it is key to the vitality of the vineyard. Now, at men's prayer on uh, Monday morning, we read through this passage, and uh, we were talking about it together. We were talking about how that... um, uh, what the vine- meaning of the vineyard, what does it mean to abide? And then we talked about pruning. And uh, it's so cool that Brother, Brother Donnie has uh, been trained in uh, cultivating plants and designing uh, um, architecture with, uh, with plants and so forth. He is, uh, uh, went to school in horticulture, so I call him our resident herbivore. Amen. I think we were all herbivores last week. So I, he shared with us, why do you prune a plant? Why would you go in and cut off branches and cut away branches of a plant that seems healthy? What would be the use in it? And he, he shared with, with me why, why they do pruning. Can you tell us why, why they prune plants? Um, well, if you go out and you purchase a, um, a fruit tree, obviously you, wanna, you want fruit, right? So... Um, this last year, I went out and bought a few trees for my wife. Um, we already have roses, and we have a Washington navel. We have a Eureka lemon, and then we have a flowering plum, which produces fruit, too. Um, and, but I went out and bought a, a mission fig, and I bought a Santa Rosa plum, and I bought a Haas avocado. All these trees require pruning. And uh, late, uh, the, a month ago, I had one of my employees come and I uh, gave, well, he knows what he's doing, but we walked through everything, what I wanted to do and how I wanted it pruned. And, um, and we do all that for a reason. And um, some trees are, are deciduous. Some trees are non-deciduous, meaning a uh, certain time of the year they're going to defoliate. They're going to drop all their leaves, and all you're going to see is branches. Uh, some fruit trees, they keep their leaves all year round. So, uh, so it's important that you know how to prune. And I'm thankful that God knows how to prune us. And the time of year is very important when you prune because you don't want to, you don't want to prune your tree when it's coming out of a dormant stage because that can be very counterproductive and you'll cause more harm than you do good. And so I told him, I go, we've got to prune these trees before um, we hit January because, I, you know, there's just a, a certain time frame when you can do all this. Is if you wait too long, like I said, you, you do more damage than you do good. So we walked through the various trees. Um, the non-deciduous trees, I just told them, now, um, our objective here is to get fruit. And last year, this tree didn't do too good. I was explaining to him in Spanish. And so on this particular tree, what I want you to do, there's a lot of excess sucker growth. I want you to pull all that stuff out and get eliminate it. And then thin it out a little bit, because I want well, my what I was the reason for that is that I wanted all the nutrients to go to only certain parts of the plant. I didn't want it all over the place, so I told them thin that one out. On the roses, I said just crop those down really low. You know what to do. And then when we got to uh, the Santa Rosa plum and the uh, uh, mission fig, I said now these we're going to do a little bit differently. They had a lot of sucker growth, and the first thing I said we don't want all the nutrients and all the energy of the plant going to that sucker growth. So eliminate that off, off the top. So he did that. And then we went back and we looked for dead branches. 
because that's another um, nutrient robber, and it just takes up space, and you don't want that. So you, want, you want access to your tree when, when you want to pick the fruit. So I said, eliminate anything that looks dead. And so we walked, through the, we, we walked through the tree. We looked at up the trees, and we said, get this out, get this out. And so he's, yeah, okay, no problem. We did that. And then we did one more pruning. I said, now I want you to prune it low because um, I don't feel like climbing a ladder. So just when it does produce fruit, um, just crop it down at a certain height so I have easy access to my, to my um, produce. And he did that. So, you know, pruning is really important. And, um, and I'm so thankful that, you know, God, he prunes us when we need to get pruned. And, you know, pruning, you're, you're injuring your plant when you do that. And you're hurting the plant. And, you're, 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 and when you prune, you've got to prune at certain uh, uh, areas of the plant. You just don't randomly start cutting. But you, you cut at, at, at what they call nodes. And that's where all the hormones of the plant collect or they hang out. And so when you cut at certain um, uh, areas, and then what you're doing is that you're, you're, you're forcing all the hormones that are in that area of the plant to start growing. And that, you know, so, I mean, there's so much to pruning. I mean, we're just barely touching it. But, you know, uh, pruning is important. It, has, it plays a vital role if you want to have a good fruit. I had a, there's a brother in the church, Brother uh, Daryl Martin is a, a Pastor, uh, uh, Brother Watts, the old pastor, that was his son-in-law. His father had a ton of uh, fruit trees in his property, and they all produce fantastic fruit. And I remember going on his property a couple of times, uh, certain times of the year, and that everything looked like it was just butchered. And it looked like, wow, it was kind of devastating when you looked at everything. But when, um, the, when it came time for harvest and it came time for for uh, uh, going there and, and picking fruit, it was abundant, and everything that he grew was really fantastic. He even won awards. So anyway, that's it. Yeah, thank you, Brother Donnie. Appreciate that. Amen. So some of the things when, when he was talking that I noticed is, number one, the, the pruning brings the fruit to where it can be used, down to where it can be used. Uh, pruning, even though there's some, uh, it can be producing, I guess he said sucker growth, which is, probably some inferior fruit that's growing branches branches that aren't uh, producing or sometimes they'll even cut fruitful branches off to concentrate it more on others so that it brings out better and more fruit so the bible says that god is the one that prunes us as branches and uh because he wants us to go from having no fruit to having fruit to having more fruit, to having much fruit. This is the will of God for our lives. And pruning's not enjoyable, as Brother Donnie said. It's, it's, uh, it hurts. It's, it's like an injury. And uh, the vine dresser will cut both the dead branches and living branches. Dead branches sometimes can collect disease or insects. And the living branches are cut because the quality of the crop can be, just, uh, can be jeopardized when you have these other branches that are stealing the nutrients from that which is going to bear fruit. So the will of God is that our fruit be in quantity, but we also bear good fruit. Now think about this. God prunes because he loves. Amen? God prunes because he loves, and his goal is that we would bear much fruit. 
He loves us so he doesn't leave us alone. And though pruning may hurt, it leads to greater joy. It leads to greater joy. And we've gone through times in our life where the Lord has had to correct, chasten, and prune. And uh, it, we don't appreciate it necessarily at the time. We don't enjoy it. But the, the joy that comes out of it and the fruitfulness that comes out of it is worth the pain. And think about this. Your heavenly Father is never closer to you than when he is pruning you. He's close. He's cutting away the good and the better so that we might enjoy the best. How many want God's best for your life? Amen? So how does God prune? Sometimes he uses the word to cut us and convict us and cleanse us. The word of God. Thank God for the word. And when you read the word, when you listen to the word, when you listen to preaching and teaching, when you get into the word, honestly, the word will start to cut you, start to correct you, start to cleanse you, start to chasten you. And then sometimes the Bible says, he who, whom God loveth, he chasteneth. Chastening is like punishment or correction. Sometimes he removes something precious from us so that we can bear fruit. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be productive. He wants us to be everything that we can be because he loves us. He's our heavenly father. And then, of course, the fourth thing is fruit. It mentions the fruit in this passage. Spiritual fruit that we are to produce, that it's his will that we bring forth fruit. So what is fruit? What is the fruit that, that we're supposed to bear? Well, when you, when you study scripture, you discover that there are different types of things that are described as spiritual fruit. There's six different things that are described as spiritual fruit in the Bible, at least. One of them is when you win a soul to Christ. It's considered fruit. It's bearing fruit, right? It's reproducing. When you win someone to the Lord, when you witness, when you bring somebody to church, when you disciple somebody, this is bearing fruit. Everybody with me? And the Bible also teaches that when we grow in holiness and in obedience to God, this is fruit. Somebody's becoming more obedient to God. Holiness is showing up in their life. What is that? That is a sign of fruit being born. Another thing is Christian giving. When we contribute, when we give, it's seen as bearing fruit. The fourth thing is the one that we first thought of, which is the fruit of the Spirit. All of those things, uh, patience, long-suffering, love, joy, peace, Christian character, that glorifies God and makes Jesus Christ real to others. This fruit that's being produced, it's produced because we abide in the vine, because we're spending time with him, because we're connected and in union with Jesus Christ. The fifth thing would be good works. Our good works are the fruit of our relationship with God. And sixth, the Bible teaches that our praise and worship is fruit that comes from our hearts and our lips. This is fruit. So all of these things are things that are produced out of a relationship with God. Now, these things can be counterfeited as well. You can can create these things or manufacture these results without being connected to the vine. But it's not true fruit, and it doesn't remain. Fruit has seed in it. Seed reproduces. Seed is eternal. It's cycle after cycle. So that which is produced out of a relationship with God, out of union with God, 
the fruit that is manifest is something that remains. It's not here for a season, but it remains because it comes from the true vine and it's not counterfeited or manufactured by the flesh. The true branch, uh, when the branch is united with the true vine, it will always bear fruit. And, and, and uh, this passage teaches that an unfruitful branch is useless. And it's going to be cut off and cast away. And an unfruitful believer is useless. An unfruitful believer is useless and will be cut off. So we've got to get connected. We've got to stay connected so that our lives bear fruit. Amen. Now, it, it, in Psalms chapter 1, it, it shows how not to be fruitful. It said, blessed is the man that well, it shows how to be fruitful by giving the opposite. That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. And his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So if you are walking in the counsel of the ungodly, if you're getting your advice from ungodly people, amen? Or you're, and I see this, I see this. It makes me mad when I watch people that are making decisions and decisions for direction in their life uh, about their relationships and their relationship with God. And they're talking to people that are ungodly. And I'm like, don't you know you're disconnecting? You're disconnecting from the vine. Get counsel, amen, from the godly. Don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful because this will cause the fruit to dry up. All right, so here's the last thing. The last thing are from John chapter 15, our reading this week. And don't think since we spent this time studying it that you don't need to read it. Now it's going to be even more rich when you read it. You're going to get more fruit from it, more value, more nourishment. Four habits that will keep you abiding. Four habits that will keep you abiding in the vine. Remember, I said it doesn't happen automatically. It requires intentionality. So here are four habits that will keep you in the vine. The first one, is uh, in verse 7, John 15 and verse 7. The, 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 uh, our, our Bible reading, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. So the first habit is trusting in the word of Jesus. Trusting in the word of God. And when we remain in his word, then we will abide in the vine. How do we remain in his word? How do we make sure his words remain or abide in us? By reading the Bible and studying the Bible on a daily basis and making Bible study a priority. Now, I know Tuesday night's not as exciting. I know Tuesday night's not like the the big show. But you know what? When you come on Tuesday night, you are seeking to have the word abide in you. When you take the Bible out and spend time reading your Bible, you are saying, let this word abide in me. So you're not wasting your time when you spend those 15 minutes reading John 15 tomorrow morning. 
You are getting the words of Jesus to abide in you. And if you cause the word to abide in you, then you will abide in the vine. But if you're not reading the Bible, if you have no appetite for studying the Bible, see, this is why we have a month of renewal. Because our appetites get all over the map. But there's very little appetite for the word of God. It's like, oh, I heard all that before. This is boring. I'm going to take a nap. Or Tuesday night is the good night to skip church. But the reality is, is you've got to get the word and you've got to get an appetite for the word of God. And when somebody is being plugged back in, their appetite goes for the word of God. All of a sudden they want to read it. All of a sudden they want to study it. They want to get some books. They're wanting to be there for Bible study. They're listening to preaching and teaching on the radio or they're checking it out on YouTube because they're hungry for the word of God. And so if you abide in the word, in the words of Jesus, then you this is a habit that will keep you abiding in the, van, the, the vine. And when you make reading the Bible and studying the Word of God a priority, then you can start to know the will of God and you can pray and act accordingly and God's going to answer your prayers. Amen? That's what it says. God will answer your prayers. So the first habit, the first habit, this is Christianity 101, but we're renewing, we're rebooting, we're putting everything back in, Okay? We're, we're, we're erasing everything off the computer and we're putting back the normal things in, back, back in the basics, all right? So the first thing is studying and reading the Bible. I encourage you to jump onto this G52 wagon. Jump onto it. Isn't that the name of a Mercedes, a G52 wagon or something? Or G-Wagon? Huh? Oh, G55, okay. Uh, so, I think you made that up. So the first habit is to abide, get the word abiding in you. Secondly, John 15 and 12, we got to love one another. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as, just the same way Jesus said that I loved you, I want you to love one another. Check this out. If you want to abide in the vine, you are not created to exist on your own. You are created to need one another. And spiritually, you can't survive without fellowship. You cannot survive without fellowship with other disciples of Jesus Christ. We were designed to feed off of one another's enthusiasm and passion and strengthen one another and provoke one another to good works. And so if you don't make it a regular habit, of spending time away from the church, just time in your life with other followers of Jesus. This is God's plan. He said, this is how people will know that you're disciples, because you love one another. And, not, and they don't mean that just because when, when they see you at church, you're like sweet and lovey-dovey and hug on each other. No, you guys are hanging out together, spending time with one another. You love one another. What is fellowship? Well, it's several fellows in the same ship. No. <laughs> Fellowship is simply this. It's hanging out with other disciples of Jesus, hanging out with people who share your hunger for God's word and your passion to do the will of God. And fellowship is the environment that helps to spur, helps you to spur one another on to love and to good works. So the Bible teaches us 
that this is a habit. You have to be intentional with it. Sometimes we like to just go hang out with our family all the time, just my family, just my family, my family. And family time is critical. It's important. But at the same time, we've got to open up and be intentional about spending time with other disciples of Jesus. And it's just designed this way that we will encourage one another. It's just designed this way that we'll provoke one another to good works, that we'll grow stronger. So get some people in your life as friends that you spend time with that are going to encourage your relationship with God. And he said, love, love one another as I loved you. What does that mean? Jesus' love was sacrificial love. And sacrificial love is looking out for the best interest of the other person and knowing in this family of God that they're looking out for our best interests as well. And when I'm looking out for somebody, when I'm self-sacrificing love, like Jesus loved us, he gave himself for us, when I love my brothers and sisters like that, and they're loving me like that, you talk about some powerful energy to face whatever it is we got to face. We know we're not alone. We know, as they say, we got each other's back. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to be there. We're going to serve. We're going to do what it takes to make sure that one another's needs are met. And then the third thing, the third habit is to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. In verse 26, it, it explains that, that Jesus said the comforter is coming, the one that's going to come alongside of you, the, the, the Holy Spirit that exhorts and encourages and comforts and consoles. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus was saying here, it's coming, disciples, and it's going to be your help. And whenever you need comfort, whenever you need counsel, Whenever you need an advocate, whenever you need to be exhorted, the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside you and give you what you need. And so he says, trust in the Holy Spirit. That's why we got to pray in the Holy Ghost. That's why we got to be filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we've got to learn to trust in the power of the Spirit. And the fourth and final thing, of course, is prayer. Prayer. This is the habit the most significant, important habit to keep us abiding in the vine. Prayer is simply talking to God. It's about having this conversation that we partake in continually. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it teaches us to pray continually because strength and direction and fellowship with God is gained when we pray continually. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Psalms 34 and 4 says that that David said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Hebrews 4 and 16, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. When? In the time of need. Philippians 4 and 6, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't be stressed out, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and he's going to take care of you. And the peace of God will be with you. Amen. 
the peace of God. When you're abiding in the vine, peace is a product because you are casting it all on him. Amen. Finally, John 15 and 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Praise God. Let's stand together right now. Amen. Thank God for his word. Let's give God thanks right now for his word. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you for your word, Jesus. We thank you and praise you for your word. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, we're branches, and we're a part of the vine, and we're all connected to one another. And uh, we gain strength through Jesus Christ. But I found that we also gain strength through one another. And so before we leave, I want you to, brothers, if you can find a brother right now, ladies, if you could join with a lady or two or three, it doesn't have to be one-on-one, but two or three. And I want you just to pray a quick prayer over your brother. And then when you finish praying, I want you to speak a word of encouragement to them. Can you speak a word of encouragement to one another after you pray? Let's pray right now. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, for my brother, that you'd give him strength, that you'd give him grace, Lord God. Hallelujah. I pray for my sister right now, Lord God, that you would uh, bring her through every test and every trial, that you would enable her to come out of it as a better person than what she came into it. Uh, I pray in Jesus' name that in the classroom or uh, in the workplace, Lord Jesus, or wherever it is, Lord God, that you've placed them. Uh, I pray, God, that you would give them grace to show forth the praises of, uh, of you, Lord God, and bear fruit uh, in the workplace, that the fruit of the Spirit would be manifest. Uh, hallelujah, Lord, that they would also have an opportunity to witness and bear fruit. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Just say, if you got to say these words, just say them. God, let them get connected and bear fruit. Let her get connected. Let her get connected and abide in you and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, I pray. In the name of the Lord, hallelujah. In the name of the Lord, everything that would attack, everything that would destroy, everything that would distract, we pray against it right now. Let their appetite for your presence, your appetite for their word grow. Come on, speak it over them right now and believe that God hears your prayer. And as you pray for one another, as you pray for one another, victory is wrought.